Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile Coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into JIRA tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M I R O.com. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright and today's guest is Ben Lewis. Hello, Ben. Hi. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well on this uh, surprisingly sunny, fresh Saturday morning in January. Yeah. Um, so what's the film we've come together to talk about? Um, it's, a, it's a film called Chancers about a bunch of producers who um, uh, <coughs> tried to make a £20 million movie, and when the money didn't come in, perhaps it never would have, they um, <coughs> they pretended to make it and sent accounts to HMRC and uh, claimed millions in uh, in tax credits and, and VAT. Um, so it's a film about filmmakers and a film about film fakers. Yeah, so it's so, but it, and most importantly, it's a documentary, not a not a not a drama. It's this a, is this really happened? Yeah. It's a true life documentary, but you know, it's got all the uh, action and twists and turns of a fictional film. It's like it's like a sort of heist movie, but actually, the heist is the movie. Yeah, it's quite possibly the most ridiculous heist at the same time, isn't it? In, in it's the, so ridiculous that you can't quite believe the people who made it did it deliberately. And yeah. I, think, I think chances is 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 a very apt title because usually you know when when crimes of any kind of sophistication happen, it's it's the players involved are know exactly what they're doing and know exactly what they're getting into, whereas it seems that the subjects of your documentary seem to have fallen over the idea they can get their hands on close to a million pounds for doing nothing. 
Yeah, well, did they just get a bit ahead of themselves? Or were they cunning? That's the big question the film asks. I'm not sure if I have to answer that, because everyone will come away from this film with their own kind of view on that. You know, was this cunning and calculated, or was it naive and desperate? Well, I guess, I guess if we talk, if we, if we, if we rewind a second then, you, you as a filmmaker, how yeah. did you come to this story and how did you come to making a documentary about this idea of taking the taxman for a ride while trying to make a movie? Well, it was in the papers, this, you know, the, the, the um, producers were put on trial in 2013 and all given quite hefty prison sentences. Mm-hmm. They'd um, apparently pretended to make a film, and then um, after they'd been sort of found out, charged and uh, arrested and charged and, and bailed, they thought they could prove their innocence by actually making one, um, which was extraordinary. It was in the papers, and I just thought, God, this is such a great story, I've got to see if I can tell it. And then I got in touch with the only the man left standing, so to speak, the only main guy who wasn't in prison because he wasn't... You know, there was no, uh, uh, there, there was no, uh, allegation, criminal allegations against him. Paul Knight, the writer director of the, of the film that they made to try and prove their innocence. Mm. And, uh, he said to me, um, you know, I met him over lunch and I said, hey, I'd like to make a film about this story. Are you interested in cooperating and taking part? And, um, you know, he met a few other people that day, but decided I was the best guy to go with. So, um, you know, that's how it all began, really. And on the way, I, uh, you know, I found, um, I found this kind of three, 500 gigabyte treasure trove of behind the scenes footage and video diaries made by the two main producers, commissioned by the two main producers, Bashar Alissa and Aoife Madden. They didn't just kind of make a film to inverted commas prove their innocence or to show that they were committed filmmakers. They also produced behind the scenes footage and video diaries, you know, all after they'd been arrested and, released on bail, these video diaries in which they sort of tried to explain how legitimate their cinematic enterprise was. I'd never seen anything like it. It was extraordinary. It was, I thought it was absolutely hilarious. It was like an Ealing comedy. I thought, also, this is a morality tale for young people, you know, don't, how not to get involved in the film business, how not, how not to make a movie. I thought, this is a morality tale. People should watch, young people should watch this. Uh, so they so they can be a bit more you know a bit more a bit more wary really because everyone's so desperate to get into the film business and everyone you know there's so much bullshit in the film business isn't there? Oh, without a doubt, no, and I think that's what what the what the documentary highlights fantastically is that you you put a celebrity name on on a PowerPoint presentation, and for some people that's like saying you've got them, whereas the reality is you're just you're just throwing a name in the air. Yeah, that's about, right. Yeah. There's about as much chance yeah. of you getting Christian Bale or Michael Caine as there is no. in coming round for tea to my house tonight. And you hear these sort of stupid conversations all the time in Soho House and other sort of, you know, expensive watering holes in London and Mayfair. I mean, London is full of people with a toehold in the media who are talking themselves up. And, you know, as a documentary filmmaker, I know that most people are actually making films. We're too poor to actually go to these places, you know. People making this shit, we don't get paid enough. Or we're working too hard, or we're too exhausted, or we're too worried that our new project is going to turn out to be crap, you know, and we're too depressed, and so we're staying at home. You know, we're not going out swanking around, we're staying at home trying to make sure our film is as good as possible. 
What? What? Well, where? Where? How did you come across the 500 gigabyte thing? Was that just public? Public? It was a tip off. It was, it was a tip off from Paul. Okay. Paul Knight. Yeah. Set me onto uh, an an Italian cameraman who um, was very difficult to get hold of. And eventually, after six weeks or something, we managed to sort of get a courier to pick up this hard drive. I didn't know what was on it. And the hard drive was corrupted. I had to send it away and get it repaired for several hundred pounds to wow. extract footage. And then I sort of looked at it and I was like, oh, my God, what have I got? This is brilliant. You know, this is how I can tell this story. Because Eva Madden wouldn't talk to me, you know, and her family wouldn't talk to me. And her friends wouldn't talk to me. And, you know, Bashar Alissa is in prison and he's not allowed to give interviews. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, prisoners aren't allowed to give interviews. Ah, okay. Except under very, very exceptional circumstances. Yeah, okay, okay. That's interesting, because, yes, because that, that footage that you found then allows the audience to at least get their perspective, if not their point of view, in, oh, terms, yeah. of, in terms of the narrative you're, you're giving us, doesn't it? Yeah, it's very important, yeah. Because cause it, it kind of, it, set, it sets a kind of, because because some of the things that the people you do the, the talking heads you get to speak to, when they sort of say this happened and that happened, it's a really good sort of um, confirmation, as it were, when we get to see how. And I guess go back to your earlier point, actually, the, the notion that they're either in above their heads or cool and calculated because you can't see it. It's not it's not in their eyes. <laughs> you know? No. And and like you say, this stuff was filmed in between being on bail and being convicted. So they they thought they would they they look like they're doing a sort of honest thing. And and I think um I can't remember which which who who it was on, on the documentary was talking, but, but you know, the few of the people, even, you know, on the day of the case and stuff, seemed to think there was nothing was gonna happen. Yeah, like, yeah. Like there'd like yeah. been no crime. I think she just didn't realise what she's getting into, really. I think, you know, she's a bit dippy, maybe. Now, I suppose you should, technically, we should say what, what, what it was they actually did. It wasn't just they took money. It was, there was a scheme called the, was it, was it the film tax credit? Was that the name what of the What they did, what they did, what the producers did was they said they submitted invoices to HMRC to the value of £8 million. Now, none of that work had been done. There were no contracts. But they submitted these invoices and then... They claimed the VAT on those invoices, and they began to claim film tax credit. That's what they did, and it was, you know, it was transparently um, illegal. Um, Bashar claims that he thought he could, um, you know, uh, submit accounts in advance, and that um, his accountants had told him he was allowed to submit accounts in advance. But um, I think most of us know you can't really apply for VAT before you've actually spent the money or had the work done, at least. You know, I mean, maybe you can have get the work done, get the contract signed, and then the work is about to be done, but you claim the VAT. But you can't really claim VAT for stuff you haven't got any contracts for and for work that hasn't been done. That's, like, absurd. No, no, because, I mean, usually there's a quick pro quo, isn't there, is that you've charged something out that's got VAT on it, and you buy yeah. stuff with VAT on it, and the net is what you receive, isn't it? It's not like, yeah, it's, right. not, it's not a bonus. Yeah, no. And it's, but it's interesting that, that, I mean, the film tax credit is something that has been talked about a lot, and, and, and I guess it's, it's, it's close relative, the, um, 
the seed enterprise investment scheme and the enterprise investment scheme that exists now, which is not just for film, it's for any speculative business to to attract investors and you can get tax credits against what, what money's brought in from investors that helps. Because essentially it's it's a scheme, and film tax credits was the same, they're schemes that help reduce risk for people with money, aren't they? They yeah. Whereas actually in your film, what was what was the revealing thing for me was in your film the big the big the big money crime that they seem to have committed was more about the sleight of hand over VAT they paid stroke charged HRMC for. Well, they didn't get far enough down the line to do the film tax credit stuff. But, <laughs> you know that would have been part of it. I mean the background for this is as you pointed out there's been an awful lot of dodginess around the film tax credit with um, footballers and other people putting money into uh, uh, films <coughs> uh, which then don't make any money and then the people who put the money in the films to film footballers and the celebrities and whoever else they are get to write off those losses against uh, tax and through various sort of uh, uh, sort of special loan schemes and um, and also through sort of inflated budgets that aren't properly checked they're able to write off a lot more money than they actually put in. And um, it looks like Bashar may have been wanting to sort of go down that road, but he didn't get that far. It it was just a sort of VAT scam, really. Mm, Which, which, I mean, in in all fairness, is is probably happening every day and any day in any kind of cash business world where there's there's a decent enough turnover, isn't there, where... You know, this is this is this is what HR. I guess this is bread. In the end, it's kind of bread and butter. But the for the HRMC, but the fact it was about a movie, and and it was it was very revealing. The the, the Q and A you have with the HRMC investigator is that it was almost like because it was a movie, it was viewed. It was almost for the for the for the fleeting moment where it was took seriously and how the money was let out. It was because it was a movie. They didn't look at it in the same way. They'd look at it as if if you and I had come along and said we built a twenty five story block of flats. And we want to get eight hundred thousand pound back in VAT. We spent. They'd want to know every single penny and pound attached to that, wouldn't they? Yeah. And yeah. it seemed that because it was a movie, and they said, "Look, we need to move fast because we're going to make the movie." That it just sort of got signed through. It's kind of interesting. That was the interesting part for me. And also, the the, the flip side of that is the red flag that you fly up, which is the uh, the average cost of feature films in Britain that are usually made are, are not that are not where, nowhere near nineteen million for an experienced production company. Yeah. Yeah. What was, I mean, for you as a filmmaker, did it, did it, um, did it frighten you that this goes on? And did you think that this is, this is like unsustainable for the film business? Or was you, was you thinking, well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of glad I go about things, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, there's a lot of, there's a lot more honesty out there than there is this, and this is the exception. Well, that's a difficult question to answer. I mean, everyone knows that figures are juggled in the film business, and you'll never get a film off the ground if you wait till you've got the money before you start rolling. Mm. I mean, it's so difficult to finance a film, documentary or fiction, and at some point you have to take a risk and rob Peter to pay Paul, and, you know, there's lots of little things go on like that. But the thing is, you know, not quite on this scale. You know, people don't actually write invoices this large for work that hasn't been done and claim the VAT on it. That's just, you know, that's a whole nother level of silliness and deceit. 
So um, while, um, you know, there's plenty of shenanigans that go on in the film business, this was a really exceptional case, and I think that's why HMRC went after them so hard and was so successful. What was, what was it like, get, I mean, getting somebody like the HRMC to come on, come on camera to talk? Was that a difficult ask, or was that something oh, they well God, it took me a year. Really? It took me a year to get HMRC on board. I don't know why. Maybe they were embarrassed that they'd handed over £800,000. I think generally civil servants are worried about talking to the media. Um, I wasn't very happy because, because I had to wait so long. I didn't see why I should. Um, I just feel these kind of people, actually, they've got a responsibility to talk to the press. And then I ended up meeting, you know, Alison Chipperton, and she's an extremely admirable, admirable woman, yeah. you know. And her colleagues, it may have been a bit silly to hand over 800,000 quid just like that, but they, they certainly got on the case quickly. No, and I, know, I, I thought that, they came they across really well. And they went after it very well. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, I think beyond the initial mistake, which, you know, you know... You, you, there are 70 million people of us living here and there's a million different there's millions of transactions to do with what they have to process every day so that mistake can happen but the way they came across and the way they talked about it 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 it, it kind of was assuring to me really in a way <laughs> i think it was great that you got them on yeah well i i mean you have to get people like that on a documentary. And it's more and more difficult to get people to agree to be in documentaries. I mean, you know, I'm supposed to be a director, and 95% of my time is spent persuading people to take part in my films. It's, <laughs> it's exhausting. So who, who else was, uh, was, was, was a tricky ask that you were glad to get involved? Well, loads of Aoife's friends just said, no way, go away. Right. And um, Sarah Clark, you know, took a lot of persuading because she was totally innocent you know, she's a very, very lovely person, and she got hoodwinked into taking, taking, you know, j joining Aoife's company and working for Aoife for no money. Mm. And she didn't want to, you know, look like a crook or look stupid. So I really had to spend spend months again trying to persuade her and saying, "Look, I'm not going to make you look stupid. You know, this is a something that might help other people if they watch it." And you've got a good story to tell, and you'll like being in my film. You'll like the way you look. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I've, I've, um, through social media already, I've been putting links out to your IMDb page, telling all my filmmaker friends that they should watch this because this is, it's a genuine cautionary tale, I think, about the kind of razzmatazz that can come with a film, and then the reality of what is really happening, and how different that, how opposite those two things can be. I'm glad you liked it. No, no, very much. I mean, it's like, I mean, I, I'm involved, you know, I'm involved with stuff myself. And when I was looking at what they were doing, I was thinking that it's, it's, cause you're right. There is a, there is a tendency for filmmakers to have to spin plates that aren't spinning yet so that everyone thinks the plate is spinning. But that's only, that's only like any kind of business kind of thing where you want to appear to be moving forward. Uh, there's one thing to say this will happen. There's another thing putting in a VAT claim for 800,000 pounds. Yeah, and it was a, it was that kind, it was the level of temerity that, that that blew my mind, and then like you say that the the the, the 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 next part of that when you're kind of when you're in the shit as it were for for doing what you've done to then try and remedy it in the way they do. Yeah, yeah, I mean, chutzpah is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's it's. It's not that their remedy is not far off you and I bobbing down to the pub and going and making a film in this afternoon with our iPhones. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. And, 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 while, while trying to look like they're pulling off a, the equivalent of what would what would look like a 19 million production. And I must yeah. admit, I like that. I like the candidness of your, I think it's one of the HMC people said, you know, well, it looked like a student film, but, you know, we didn't know what, what a 90 million pound film should look like in a, in a kind of test footage way. <laughs> and that's true yeah. in, in a sense, isn't it? Yeah. 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 What was from, from, from a filmmaker sense, what was, as someone that's that close to the story, what do you think was a valuable lesson for you as a filmmaker going forward that you took from doing this documentary? Um, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, don't believe the hype. <laughs> You've really got to be careful of people bullshitting you. Um, everyone's out for what they can get in this business. Um, and, um, you know, actually, actually be really careful with your accounts, you know. <laughs> I, I understand what my accountant's been on about the past few years. Also as well, I think, I think one of the things it, it rammed home to me, which, which again, I couldn't believe how far this was able to get, is that, you know, I've, I've been to Cannes the last five years. And that five years, in a way, for me, has been trying to cement a reputation for myself that I'm a serious proposition in terms of being involved in making a movie. But that doesn't no. make me a doesn't make me a big filmmaker. It just means that the people I repeatedly see go, oh yeah, we 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 know Stuart Stuart's been about whatever. Um, these people were not filmmaker pedigree yet. They went about it and accumulated more people with even less film pedigree, and nobody said anything. There was nobody there going, whoa, raining the horses there, everyone. We've got no filmmakers. Making a film, yeah. I think that's the outstanding thing about what 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 you've what you've managed to unearth with this is that, and I think maybe maybe you know because I guess the um, y y your main man comes from a kind of what was it construction background and then he failed in that and then he thinks oh, I'll be a filmmaker then. Yeah, yeah. When when you were when you were constructing this, how how did you? Given who you had access to and who you didn't have access to, and while you were trying to get access to other people, how did you manage the narrative that you were trying to tell through the documentary? What were, did you decide that early, or did that emerge through the process? What, the narrative. Um, well, you knew the, narr the narrative emerges, and you know that you have a few ideas, but actually it has to sort of come through the characters, and the sort of heist idea developed. You know, was. It's a sort of heist movie, you know, and, and the heist is this film, and then the people who made the film were sort of fighting over the spoils, you know. Who's gonna, who's gonna emerge with the film at the end? There was, it's a kind of, I used that as a sort of MacGuffin, a sort of classic heist narrative. Paul walks off with the film at the end, mm. you know, he's the innocent guy, and the crooks go to jail, so to speak, you know. Um, and, uh, and I also was kind of just interested in the idea of, you know, the fit, well, the uses of the film, you know, the whole, I mean, I suppose it had its own story, didn't it, really? You know, they make this film to get up to try and prove that they pretend to make a film, apparently, then mm. they make a film uh, to try and, you know, uh, get off. And then the film, you know, is not admissible, really, not relevant as evidence in court. Yeah, no, that that was quite a surprise. It was kind of like, no, you've, it was almost like the court saying, "No, you've shot your bolt. This is this doesn't. You don't remedy this." No. Yeah. 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 
Uh, but even, but it, like even that little, the little sort of family tree of the companies that were created to do the work. I mean, if if they'd had one, if they could have had like one invoice from a kind of time served Soho production house or post production house, they'd have looked at least a little bit credible. But the fact that, that the invoices are from any other company that's made up from people I know, yeah, sort of compounded yeah. their the notion of the guilt. Um, but it's interesting. I, 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 I'm not. Because I have my own clear idea, having watched it, as to what I thought, where you started the conversation is kind of preying on my mind. Because I kind of think, yeah, I'm not, I, I am, now I'm not completely sure whether or not they meant it, whether it was haphazard, whether they're the cleverest crooks in the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it just is, it just, it, I guess it just is an amazing thing. And I think chutzpah is the, is, the, is the word that you used earlier that I think probably summarizes it all, really. Yeah. And, yeah. And maybe, maybe if you give them any benefit of the doubt, did they honestly expect? Because you don't get the impression from what you've shown us, because obviously that's the only evidence I've got. That 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 trail of we've got the invoice from A and B Productions, was it? I think um, for this yeah. five million thing that includes eight hundred thousand VAT. You submit that, and then you get eight hundred thousand back from HMC. I'm almost sure it was like that was a surprise. It get it gives this because that's early on in the stuff. That's a, the, that's the kind of trigger for what happens, isn't it? Obviously, um, yeah, yeah. What they do after that is where it all goes wrong. Because I'm guessing if they'd have gone, oh, hold on a minute, no, we haven't. You've given us eight hundred thousand pound here. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like what they do with that that, that makes it. That, to sort of, I guess compounds the, the idea that they may or may, that, that, that there's a level of, uh, what you call it, um, they were determined to do something rather than something happened and it went out of control. Yeah, yeah. What, what, were, your, what were your thoughts making it? Did you think you were going to, did, did you, I mean, obviously, knowing, no, you went into this knowing the end because that's where you started your investigation. It's like, look, these people have been convicted. Let's have a yeah. look at what happened. When you started to unearth what evidence you could, plus also... The 500 gigabytes thing. Did you sort of think, did you think, did you begin to doubt whether or not they were that, that bigger, bigger criminals and really just a bit? Well, it's about, you know, it's really about what the criminal mind is, isn't it? I mean, you know, a con man can also con himself. Um, what they did was obviously illegal, yeah, you know, yeah. at a large margin. Did they realise that it was illegal or not? That's a sort of psychological thing, isn't it? I, you know, people often think, oh, it's going to be all right in the end, don't they? It'll be all right on the night. The money's going to come in. If I just sign these documents now, everything, you know, the, everything will be okay in a couple of weeks. Things will sort themselves out. The, the check's in the post, you know. Yeah, that is, you're right. Yeah, that is, it's kind of a, there's a, there's a level of self, there's maybe, I mean, obviously we can't prove this, but there, there, there is maybe a level of self-delusion in there. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the, obviously, I mean, naturally, fil filmmaking has to have some of that because you have to believe that you're going to, you know, generate whatever you need to make a movie because it's not yeah. like you can just go into the wants and wants and uh, wants and sales ads in the newspaper and go and get investors. Uh, yeah. And go and get yeah. celebrities to start your movie. If you don't already subscribe to Ripflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. So well, I, I should probably should probably add to it. It's it, it's a Storyville documentary. It's going to be on on the twenty fourth of Jan on yeah. on um, BBC Four. 
Yeah. Uh, so does that mean it'll be on iPlayer for a while as well, for those people that don't catch this in time for the 24th? Um, it's going to be on iPlayer for at least a week, yeah. Cool. Yeah, maybe probably maybe longer. I don't know what the deal is. They usually keep it up there for a while. I need a distributor. I need someone to say to me, this is great. We want to, we want to release the DVD. We want to put it in cinemas. So, you know, that would just be, that's really what I'm looking for. Okay, okay, okay. So, for, the, for anybody, anybody listening in that game, then um, details will be in the show notes to get in touch. So, so that's that's your that's your next ambition for this is to get it get it get it wider. I guess that means obviously the world, not just the UK, because obviously Storyville gives you a UK gives the UK audience a chance to see it. But at the moment, I, I mean, has it shown at any festivals yet? Anything like that? Not yet. No, no. Okay. We're hoping to get it into a, an American festival in the near future. Mm. Okay, then, well, look, thank you very much for coming on the uh, Britflix podcast. You're welcome. I hope I made sense. I hope I did too. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro. Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.